Hey, good people in podcast land. Welcome to Convene, a conversation series dedicated to connecting the creative community in Toronto. I'm your host, Chris Penrose, and this 16-part series is about the music ecosystem between Montreal and Toronto. This edition of Convene is supported by Factor Canada. On this episode, I speak with Junior T, also known as the Studio Monk, which is the title of his debut album. Junior T is a Toronto-based producer and has spent the past couple of years touring the world with Jesse Reyes as her live DJ and longtime creative collaborator. Um, my first question to you is if you can describe your role in the music industry in your city. Um, my role in the music industry in my city is to um, help reinforce community and uh, free-flowing creative spaces and allowing, um, helping artists just create freely is my thing and how I contribute to the city. I think it's interesting that you talk about facilitation of community and, and facilitation of that freedom for artists to create rather than like describing producer, MC, which are also titles that you uh, hold with like a real like heavy belt, um, heavyweight belt. Thanks, G. Because um, I feel like that's the main part of what I do. You know, as much as like I, I can rap and I, I make beats, I feel like <clears throat> the output of the art that I make is a, a result of how we hold space and how we share space. And um, that's just what I get excited by, is seeing people create freely because we always get something that's brand new that we never expected, you know? Yeah. And I yeah. know in our conversations, we've talked about um, your philosophy in terms of how you operate a studio and how you like yeah. look at that as a space. Can you talk a little bit about your approach in that with how you um, create in the studio and, and the intentionality of the space first before actually creating the music? Oh, for sure. Um, so like my current studio is actually like my dream space because it physically has the room to do it like that now. So um, first, I just like to ground. So whoever I'm working with, um, whenever I'm working, I make sure that the sessions are long blocks of time so we never have to feel rushed, for one. So we could just arrive. We could just talk and be human, talk about what went through that day, that week, things that excite us. Because from that, you just humanize yourselves and you like remove the titles and the accolades and all that shit disappears. And when you both, both start to, or whomever starts to nerd out on the art, you start to recognize each other's like common thread. And from that, I feel like at that moment, everybody really lets their hair down. And then when we start to have fun with making music, it doesn't become a thing of showing off or impressing people or doing the best thing. People just do whatever feels good. And then when you do just whatever feels good, that's when I find that's where you discover the new, mm-hmm. you know? And that's kind of where I want to remain, <laughs> you know? So that's why I find it's important to have the time to just ground because any magic can come from those human moments. Yeah, Absolutely. And in regards to how you put out music in the world and how you are looking at your career, I know you've looked at 
you kind of treated yourself in a way like a case study of, you know, what do artists need and what is the, um, what are the strategies and what are the resources and supports and like what, what, how do you navigate the infrastructure that we have and don't have here? Can you talk a little bit about yeah. how you um, are approaching that? Oh, for sure. So, um, Studio Bug really helps me learn about budgeting for a project, like how much money does it really cost. Um, it also helped teach me um, what kind of systems are needed on like a consistent basis and also had a real glimpse at what full-time art looks and feels like and the responsibilities needed to sustain it. For example, there's many ways a song should be registered and a lot of us only know to do so can, you know? Not, not all of us understand that we should also register on sound exchange because they've collected your money on the internet or CMRRA because you also earn mechanicals. And um, furthermore, how much time it really takes to roll out a project is something that I'm learning too. Because mm -hmm. we came from a time where Toronto was, I shouldn't say Toronto, the indie artist is really good at building an anticipation for something. But where the real work comes in is after you've presented the thing you've anticipated for, is what do you do with it after that? And how long do you let that live? Mm -hmm. And like, what I'm learning is that <clears throat> a lot of us have been rushing to the next thing. We haven't let our art truly live the life it deserves because we're basing its quality on metrics, you know? Mm -hmm. And I've been pushing Studio Monk for three years and nobody's complaining because of the quality of the art and I'm treating it that way. And then in hindsight, we could all say a lot of our favorite artists did the same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting because I think the the age we're in is definitely in some ways been the opposite of that, right? Like we, you, there was a period of time where, you know, it, it was insane that DMX put out two albums in one year. Like that was just like, how does somebody do yeah. that? How does someone create at that pace when you, you know, you normally wouldn't hear um, from someone even every year, often it'd be a couple of years yeah. before projects. Then you get into this time where it's like, you know, a lot of artists have that pressure to be dropping all the time, but to, to take that time and to work a project with, from so many different angles and with so many different dimensions to it, is um is a refreshing approach um Thank you. you you've talked about just in terms of the getting your songs registered but is there anything else that you would say is um a big lesson a big learning um that you've that you've come across through the studio monk project that you would share with others who are who are on that journey of of really trying to figure out how they can um, make their art freely and sustain themselves? Um, the people that get it will get it. Mm -hmm. I spent a chunk of the time convincing people and that's not how your time should be spent. When you make something that's from the heart and it's art, focus on the people that get it. Mm -hmm. Because when it's something that 
you understand, you shouldn't have to really explain it much. It's something that I'm really learning. And that's with everything, you know? And then another thing that I'll say that was a really big thing for me was um, scale. Budgets and scale of things. In our in our world of grants, <clears throat> we get grants in increments of tens, tens of thousands of dollars, you know, at most 20. If you're, you know, have a system in place, you might get to see like 80 to 100. But in all honesty, I'm realizing that a million dollars isn't a lot of money. A half a million dollars isn't a lot of money. To really do an album and give it legs, you need a hundred thousand dollars. That doesn't mean you need to have it all at once. But also, as artists, we shouldn't be afraid of a hundred thousand dollars, because the way that we are traditionally looking at how we earn a hundred thousand dollars is the most archaic and like least likely way it was done even back in the day too. Because mm-hmm. you ask an artist, how are you going to make twenty thousand dollars? They're going to go, well. I'm going to make 2,000 CDs and sell it at $10,000 a pop, right? Mm-hmm. That was our old model back in the day, but still is in ways, right? Well, in actuality, that's not how it's done. It's, um, I make a catalog of music, and with one of my great songs, I license that for half a million dollars. There you go. Mm-hmm. Or I license that one song for $20,000. There you go. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? And that part of scale is missing where we're at too. And we've we've all been trying to fit our greatness into these small limitations. And once we break free of that and realize that just get what you actually need, we require that and start to exchange money between each other as a community in a very different way too. I think that's that so that I- point of exchanging as a community is really powerful. I just want to also like in what you're saying, I also hear you going back to something you just said um, at the beginning of this conversation, which is looking at, you know, how much it actually really costs and how much it really takes to make a project. I think so much of the work goes unaccounted for. Um, yep. And and that, and that you know, hundred thousand. You know, you might you might have said a project cost you ten thousand because you're only counting certain costs. If you really accounted every hour that went into that and every support and all the in kind or donated services or discounts between, among friends, like it, it, those those projects that you counted as ten thousand could easily go up to fifty thousand, eighty thousand, a hundred thousand. Well, here's here's the fun part. I'm just gonna be totally transparent with you, and they say like play around with the numbers or whatever, but you know, a label out here might give you 30 to 50, right? I got like three, five, let's say. I still have to put in 55 of my own money. Mm -hmm. Right? And like you said, even if it's people donating time and kind, add that up, that's still close to 100,000. That's like 85 grand. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that was me doing my best to make sure I paid everybody at their value and their rate because like I believe in that. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? The same way they believe in me and why they're doing the task in the first place. So the reason why I've started to realize that's like an, also an important ingredient to what's needed is that we forget that like when you pay somebody their rate, their situation and their skill set will grow. Mm-hmm. The same way it was for the artists themselves. So for me, the first telling or part of that experience was when I was mixing with Slacker. I was like, yo, Slacker, 
give me your real rate, bro. <laughs> like I got my first deal, bro. Give me your real rate. Don't give me a deal. Mm-hmm. He gave me his rate. And I said, yo, I'm going to get this in a lump sum for you <laughs> right now. Mm-hmm. And you want to know what happened? His studio evolved. Right. <laughs> he bought more gear. What do you think was going to happen? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? My, my graphics guy that does all my animation, he does all my little square stuff online. Mm-hmm. Bro, I just sent him 450 one time for the whole thing. He's like, yo, June, do you know what you just did? I'm like, what did I do? He's like, you just bought me the Oculus. Yeah. And he bought the Oculus, and now he's designing in 3D. That's the whole point. That's the ebb and flow of it all. But well, we're always trying to squeeze the idea into 10K. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the spirit of, um, like, investing back into a community, and we are talking about a community and building community between Toronto and Montreal. Um, yep. How would you describe, from your vantage point, the relationship between the music communities in Toronto and Montreal right now? Um, From what I'm getting to see up close, I think we're starting to see that we're on the same side and Mm -hmm. there's more power in us being a collective representing the country and quality art, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, The one thing that's challenging at times, it's almost like across the country thing, it's hard for us to find each other. Discoverability? Yeah. It's hard to find the people. You just got to be fans of music and then discover that something that you like was from Montreal. And then you like have to seek them out. Yeah. You know, it's not like the ones uh, we could look or places we can go that's known between both cities. You know what I mean? Like if you learn, if you're going to MTL, you got to do your research on which spots to go ahead up to, you know? Same thing if somebody's coming from that city to here, but yeah, I think that's something that's like could be cool to see happen in the future, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, discoverability through platforms for across all mediums and really like putting those artists um, in front of audiences and also artists in front of other artists, in front of labels, in front of management. Um, is, is major because I, I do, I do see that gap in discoverability. Um, that that's major um in terms of you saying that you see like montreal and toronto starting to see that we're on the same side um what do you what do you see as um caught like creating that connection the djs play like a big role in like keeping montreal and toronto really connected because like the party scene is something that toronto montreal share and the DJs that go back and forth and the, like the community between the DJs also what helps kind of inform each other about each other, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely cool am seeing that. And the, and the collectives that are around those DJs and the collectives that are around those parties are really, uh, it seems like the, the forefront of the relationship between the two cities, which is not yeah. unique. I think that like you also do hear a lot of, uh, you know, people, for example, who've done really great things in streetwear a lot of times started in that party space. And um, a lot of people who got into management and did really great things um, started in that party space. Like there, there is this element of community that's so natural to the party space. And obviously the DJ is the heart of, of the party space. So that's true. That would make that's sense. That's very true. Um, Another question for you is, what do you think is getting in the way of the connection between the two cities? 
discoverability, man. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. I don't think there's anything else. And maybe, yeah, we, we just need a shared platform. Because mm-hmm. once we would know about each other, then we would just like support each other, I feel. Yeah, I think that yeah. synergy's there. Mm-hmm. 100%. Like when you hear the music, when you see the movements in both cities, you're naturally going to uh, gravitate towards it. But it's seeing it. Yeah. Um, now, going to the mindset of like imagination and possibility. What do you think becomes possible when Montreal and Toronto are really connected as a music ecosystem? Then um, a lot of people can live a life of music full time. And that's like art, art maker, art creators, and the infrastructure that would need to exist around them mm-hmm. can truly exist. You know? Yeah. And from your perspective, where do you see that work beginning? Because there's a there's definitely an appetite for it. There's definitely a need. Um, where do, yeah, where do you see that work beginning? Um, I think it's it's gonna really come from like the next generation of um, artists to break through, because they're coming up on a different level, but definitely like connected to more of their community. So I feel like the byproduct is like a lot more people would be able to see up close what it actually takes mm-hmm. to make something work. And I think that's a big part of why we're seeing more and more people becoming discoverable is because they are physically around the mindsets or the people that are working at that level. Mm-hmm. I see that you for know? sure. On, on the note of discoverability that you've mentioned a couple of times, can you speak to, just from your vantage point, again, on both Toronto and Montreal, some artists, some platforms, some people, some spaces that if people want to get to know what's going on in either city that they should be checking as maybe a starting point or as a, a way to go deeper than what they already know now? Um. If you're in Toronto, I would definitely say start with Caruza, K-A-R-U-Z-A, which mm-hmm. is like Minzy, Roberta, and Angel. And they're like a dope party collective. Like, see, there it is, the party thing. Mm-hmm. And um, they're the ones that really like, put me on to like New Currency, which is like Montreal vibes. You know what I mean? Also on the Montreal side of things, like some really dope community people are like, there's this brand called Cartier is Home. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And they've got like community space, um, a creative space where they do like photography, events, pop-ups. They're a creative collective. Um, in our city, we've got, man, I don't even know where to start. I would just say like things like loop sessions, Yeah, you know? like the producer if you really want to get tied into the community community loop sessions or something you can really tap into yeah yeah um you could also look at the track yeah. list of studio monk <laughs> yeah yo, <laughs> yo fair that's that's crazy that yeah man if you look at studio monk you can see a lot of different artists in the in the city and also 
between Montreal as well because Nate Huss is on there and he's doing great things. Nate Huss is one of my favorites. He just put us in music with Mick Jenkins, joint called Teriyaki. Yeah. And like um, Story, she just got nominated for Juno again, second mm-hmm. year in a row. You know, I'm Faza. Uh, man, Three Ninety Nine, Ninety Nine Wolves is a collective out in Montreal. DJ Collective, my boy Element is like one of the main heads from that. There's so much. Yeah. And like, I feel, you know, as we've noticed in this conversation, a lot of it is stemming from like collectives. It's not necessarily just one person. You, you, you always discover a collective and you find things you like from the cities. Yeah. Well, I asked that question of you too, knowing that I could get a bunch of different answers depending on the day that, that I asked that to you, you know, because there are so many um, people, places, platforms to check for. But I think the, the big point is once you have a couple of those like guiding stars or, you know, constellation points to check to then or connect to, then you can also find a lot more from there. That, so it definitely, yeah. those, those are some good dots to connect that you've shared. So I appreciate that. Um, now going back to the, um, Montreal Toronto relationship, I think, you know, looking at it from now a city level, what, what would you like to see from Toronto towards strengthening that relationship? And what would you like to see from Montreal in strengthening that relationship? No, my request is kind of like bold. Um, people from Toronto should um, learn how to speak French. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a dickhead move, but it's not. It's just like a common courtesy. You know what I mean? And there's something like that humans gain from speaking more than one language. Mm-hmm. From a way of thinking and realizing the world. But aside from that, like, um, just collaborate more. That's one thing Toronto can do and Montreal vice versa. Mm-hmm. You know? Just yeah. reach out whenever they can. And just like more collaboration is what's gonna stimulate the discoverability. You know? Yeah, I feel that. I, I definitely think that like the conversations I've had a lot of times it really does come down to one personal, in person, real life connection, you know, and or spending time in that other city, whether yep. it's someone who's an artist in Montreal, spending some time in Toronto, or someone who's um, a Toronto-based artist spending time in Montreal. And it's, yep. it's, you know, connecting to one artist that's connected to one collective that's connected to one part of the city that just opens up so many possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing I wanted to ask about it is like, just from your perspective now, just thinking about your own career, what's the biggest shift that would benefit you the most in the work that you do that could happen between these two cities? Between the two cities? Yeah. Um, like when we look at what the relationship is right now, if you could look at like one thing that could change, one thing that could shift, one thing that would be different in how the relationship is structured. And I think going beyond... Um, you know, the, the individual level, but to like more structures, if, if you could see one change, one shift that would benefit you the most in the work you do, what would that be? Hmm. That's an interesting one. 
can I give you like a two part answer? Like two Absolutely, different yeah. scenarios? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the first one I'm say like me, Junior T the beat maker. Um a, a beat culture that's cross province. Mm-hmm. You know? So I think of things like Sampler Cafe. Think of things like loop sessions. And something where it's like it's routinely something that's shared hosted you know what i mean like people in montreal always in toronto people in toronto always in montreal you know mm-hmm. by doing that i feel that that stimulates so much work between both mm-hmm. um and then the other thing my second answer would be like uh, studios should also know about each other just because mm-hmm. i'm a studio in toronto doesn't mean i shouldn't know a studio in Montreal or the studio guys out there because it's, it's all music, you know, it's all relative. It's all same peeps. So like there's something special when you're a guy in Toronto and the artist you're working with is going to Montreal and you're like, yo, go ahead up my dude in Laval. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's major. And, and that's in this conversation series, that's the first time that, studios have been explicitly mentioned obviously from the studio monk but the <laughs> um point too is like you're going to say you know saying artists go to another city or producers go to another city and spend some time there obviously you're gonna do different things you're gonna eat you're gonna see things around the city you're gonna you know go out chill link up with people but ultimately the main destination is always going to be to or from a studio and and knowing about those different yeah. spaces is, is huge in the ecosystem. So, yeah. Glad you brought that Especially up. Especially when, when like, I'm noticing that more now because of the type of space I have. So, you know me as like a 70s guy. So, I need to have all of my instruments plugged in all at once because I don't like to stop. Right. Mm-hmm. So, when I think of physical spaces that function that way, there's not a lot of them in Toronto. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. for that reason, like the type of people that come through my space are the types that would. I like to work that way. You know what I mean? So as a studio space holder, you know what I mean? My other homies that are engineers, when they got somebody come to them that needs to work in that way, they're going to be like, yo, go over there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And when I got like a homie that just needs to track vocals and with a real sick mic and they want to have like nice couches and shit, I'm like, yo, I'll send them to my homie. Right. Right, right. You know? And, and, and I think people cool. knowing about that too, like, you know, a team... Montreal that may not know that there is that type of space that's like, yo, all the instruments are plugged in and this is the type of vibe and sound in this space and not knowing that that exists in Toronto versus, you know, having that option and that kind of menu and saying like, yeah, if we're going to connect in the city and vice versa, Montreal, you're going to connect there. Like these are the different types of studio spaces. And I love that nuance on it, that it's not, it's not just about, uh, finding finding the place to create and record, but finding the right place to create and record. Yes, the right place makes a big difference, bro. Mm-hmm. Like I could definitely say that's been the main lesson I've learned from Studio Monk mm-hmm. is that the space is everything. <laughs> like if you don't feel good in the space, if the people coming to the space can't do what they want to do in the space, you're placing a wedge in the work. Yeah. Definitely. The, um, I want to follow up on that question with, I guess I kind of have to acknowledge the fact that you, you have already 
played some role just in how you work in connecting Montreal and Toronto, but still, you right. know, I asked you the question of like what you would like to see that would benefit you. What, based off of your strengths, your skills, the work you do, can you contribute to strengthening the relationship between Montreal and Toronto? Um, facilitating collaboration as often as I can. Yeah. You know, that's the best way I can bridge the gaps. Like, you know, my homie from Montreal, get her on the track with my homie from the city and vice versa, you know what I mean? And when I go to Montreal, bring somebody from Toronto with me, you know? Mm-hmm. Simple but powerful. Really we could all do it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really where it begins. Um, I have my last question for you, which is actually yeah. about this conversation itself. So I know you think a lot about Montreal, you think a lot about the connection between the cities, and I wonder how spending this time that we just have talking about Montreal and Toronto and the music ecosystem and envisioning what's possible, how does that energize or shift or open up how you're thinking about that relationship? Um, it excites me, man, because it means that the work is being done. And it also gave me an opportunity to reflect on what has been done to date. And a lot has been done. Mm-hmm. We've come a long way. Like I I use Studio Monk as an example. Like I met Nate Hustler in twenty seventeen. Mm-hmm. Right. I didn't even have an album then. He was like still like he just left the poster. I not not just left, but like he started doing a solo thing around then. And like I met him through Laura Lee and we were both in LA. You know what I mean? Two artists from Canada. He's from Montreal. I'm from Toronto and we're meeting for the first time mm-hmm. in LA. And then to fast forward to now, he's got a deal with Empire, but still functions with his grassroots squad. And I put out an indie record with him on it, with my grassroots squad. It's just showing that the people that are serious out here are actually serious, you know? So the more we discover each other, the more the scene will just become fortified because just because we did the one song, it's not where it ended. That's where our brotherhood began, you know? Mm. And we've been brothers ever since. Like when I go to Montreal, I call him first. You know what yeah. I mean? When he comes to Toronto, he hits me. His, his main producer, DJ Coco, came to Toronto like last month. And the first thing he said is like, yo, link my boy Junes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm like, yo, Coco's in town? Yo, I got you. You don't even need to worry about studio. I got you. Yeah. Same thing with this next homegirl. She came into town. He's like, first person you link is June. She hit me. I'm like, okay, I got you. That's what we need back and forth too because it's beautiful where you could go to another town and you know people got you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's the foundation that we need. You know, we can start to talk about, okay, well, what kind of infrastructure are we building that goes beyond that grassroots level, but that grassroots level is is makes anything that we want to build infrastructure wise possible. But I, I really love that you shared that anecdote because I think that the point of an artist from Toronto and an artist from Montreal meet up in LA. And I'm sure that like what you have in common and what you shared was way bigger and way more um i guess like amplified than than what you you know people might think of like 
the distances and the gap between Montreal and Toronto. So real, so real. And like just to bring it back to like the, my workflow or the workflow of making art, humans being human together. Mm-hmm. So like the best thing that'll come out of this is just like the cities will be like closer on a human level, not on a like a clout based level. It's just human. That's like when I say when you pull up in the city, people got you. It's not like they got you to get like a line bypass. It's like they got you. They got a crib for you to stay at. They mm-hmm. food for you. You know what I'm saying? Like human ways, they got you. Yeah. Because then all the other stuff becomes a bonus. You know what I mean? And then we're all having fun living this life of art. Yeah, it's it's like that ethic that uh, I've I've seen in you know just travels around the world in some pretty amazing places where. You know some of the the beautiful countries on this earth a lot of times that people will say like you know and this is something i heard commonly in ghana that like you know if you're a visitor i'm gonna take care of you i'm gonna look out for you and i would hope that if i was yeah. a visitor where you're from that you would do the same yep and that's exactly it that right there I really appreciate you taking the time for this conversation, for the music that you're putting out in the world and for that foundation that goes beyond the music, which is what you started with. And that's, you know, building community and creating space for others to create freely. Yeah, man. Thank you, bro. And thank you guys for facilitating this conversation because you guys are planting some great seeds, man. And definitely bear fruit. I'm excited to see what comes of this. You know what I mean? Thank you for listening to this conversation and connecting with what we do through Convene. Gratitude to the team behind this series on the music ecosystem between Montreal and Toronto, Nabil Shash, Alicia Roberts, Martine Anon, and Sebastian Miller. For more resources on this conversation, go to watervision.com watrvision.com. This project is funded by Factor, the Government of Canada, and Canada's private radio broadcasters.